0: but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to BFTExpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you.
1: Hello, one and all, to the Future Tech Podcast. I'm Alan Thomas. Uh, my guest today is Mark Jackson of Cain. Scientific Lead of Business Development at Cambridge Quantum Computing. How are you doing, A, Mark? Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, okay. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to have you here. Uh, so, let's start with the toughest question. Tell me about Cambridge Quantum Computing. What do you guys do? So, Cambridge Quantum Computing is one of the
2: leaders in developing software for quantum computers. Uh, we're focused on solutions for quantum computers that exist right now. We're, uh, we're looking into what applications can be done in the near term. Quantum computers are, are new. They were thought of about 40 years ago, but only in the past four years are we starting to see them, and then only in the past year has
1: it really exploded and taken off. Oh, uh, and, and, uh, and so what, um, uh, I guess, what would be the, what would be the, the, the large differences between um, quantum computing and, let's say, supercomputers? Uh, how would that affect the everyday person? Sure. So uh, the main difference, the technical difference is that a normal computer uses
2: bits or binary digits, which are ones and zeros. And a quantum computer uses quantum bits or qubits. And these can be a one and a zero at the same time. And so you can intuitively think of a quantum computer as being able to process many, many possible solutions at the same time. That's, That's a little bit naive Um, it's a little more subtle than that Uh, so what happens is that it it considers all these possible solutions and some of the solutions add together and some of the solutions cancel out but that's the basic gist of it and so we we're still in it we're still in the infancy of quantum computing we're still developing uh, applications of what quantum computers can do because you can't simply take a normal program written for a normal computer and then put it on a quantum computer and just expect it to run faster. Uh, you have to have a special program designed specifically for a quantum computer and so uh so there's only a handful of solutions right now, but it is increasing. One of the things that people are very excited about is quantum chemistry, quantum chemistry
1: and would that be uh and would that be the use of these computers um to to i guess for more advanced chemistry or medical applications or
2: such as that type? That's right. So quantum chemistry, uh, it was actually the original reason that uh, Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman first suggested quantum computing about 40 years ago. He pointed out that when you study the structure of a molecule, it's very difficult to figure out how the electrons are distributed. So it's it's easy to figure it out if the molecule is short, if there's only a few atoms and a few electrons. But if it's of any reasonable size, then Each electron is interacting with every other electron, and so it increases factorially, and a normal computer would quickly choke on this difficult problem. So Feynman realized that in order to solve this difficult quantum physics problem, you would need to invent a quantum computer that could very efficiently calculate uh, the the quantum physics of what's happening in this molecule. And so this is is believed to be one of the first applications of quantum computing, and we can already do this for simple molecules. It's already been done uh, using using actual quantum computers, we can model simple molecules, and we're starting to get to the point where uh, I estimate in about two years we'll be able to model molecules that normal computers cannot do. So right now, everything that we do on a quantum computer can be reproduced on a normal computer, but in about two years, this will change. And the the reason that this is so important is because in, in, uh, in drug manufacturing and in material science, this is really what you're trying to do. You're trying to model these molecules and understand how they interact with other molecules. And so if you can figure out how the electrons are distributed around this molecule, you basically know everything. You can just read off the properties of how it will interact with every other every other substance. And so so the first stage would just be if you said, "What are the properties of this molecule?" I could put it on a quantum computer and I could and I could then list off the properties of this of this molecule. But the really interesting thing happens is when you switch that around and you tell me I want you to design me a material that has these properties, and then I put this on a quantum computer, and it figures out what molecule has those properties. You can imagine in uh, in pharmaceuticals, this would be a great interest because you could design a drug customized for a particular person, and in material science, you could design, say, a more energy efficient battery. So this is what people are really excited about right now.
1: Oh wow! So so does that mean so so does that mean in terms of the um, being able to design on a molecular level, does that mean it could potentially eliminate the need for drug trials? If you were designing a customized, let's say a customized... I don't think
2: it would... Yeah, I don't think it would completely eliminate it, but it would it would help us tremendously. It's, it's sort of like the difference uh, in the olden days when you had to construct a building, you basically just had to kind of figure it out by trial and error. And based on previous buildings, you would figure out how to actually construct it. But now, of course, you can model on a computer and you can figure out not only superficial things like what it looks like, but you can figure out stability issues and the structural issues. And you can figure out a lot of stuff on a computer first before you ever have to build anything. Because once you build it, it takes time and it's expensive and, uh, and, and you have to actually test it on people or animals or, or things. And so it would be tremendously helpful if we could do a lot of the original modeling first on a computer. And it also means that we could go through millions of possibilities before honing in on a few that we would want to study in the laboratory.
1: You could actually do most of your stress testing and all of that just through the modeling, and then kind of pare down. Okay, this is where we want to focus.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and we can't do that right now. So we
1: we know how to manufacture a lot
2: of drugs, and we know some properties, but this is only because we had to do this by trial and error in laboratory and uh, and, and using it on humans. And so if we could do a lot of this pre testing on a computer, that would have tremendous advantages. Oh.
1: Uh, so I, I know you said in the next two years there'll be a, there'll be a massive change. So what's, what's, uh, what's your company's roadmap look like for the next 12 to 18 months to get ready for this so, for this shift?
2: Yeah, so uh, so quantum chemistry is one thing that we're very focused on. In fact, we already have an, a commercial engagement with a pharmaceutical company to do some analysis on, uh, on different substances. So this is something that we're very focused on right now. And, and as I mentioned, in about two years, we think things will really take off, but it's good to get it on the ground floor. Uh, A second thing that we're very focused on is encryption and security. You may have seen headlines that quantum computers will completely destroy existing encryption and and security techniques. And this is true. Uh, So the reason for this is because all of existing online security is based on this curious mathematical fact that it's easy to multiply numbers, but it's very difficult to factor them into the constituent primes. So if I gave you a few numbers and I asked you to multiply them, I'm sure that you could do it. You could sit down with pencil and paper, and you you know exactly how to figure out what the answer is. And if I doubled the, the size of the numbers, I know you could do that as well. It would probably just take you about twice as long, but that's the only difference. But if I gave you a big number and I asked you to factorize it, it would probably be very difficult for you to figure out the primes, Unless it was something very obvious like 21, uh, it, would, it would, you know, if I gave you oh, a number with with hundreds of digits or something, yeah, uh, you would probably have to take a long time to do that. And the reason for this is because no one has ever found an easy way of doing this. No mathematician in history has found an efficient way to figure out what the primes are in a number. And so this curious fact is actually the basis for a lot of cryptography because it's sort of like a one-way door. It's like a key uh, that you can use to encode stuff. And many years ago, long before we even had built quantum computers, it was realized by this professor at MIT, his name is Peter Shor, that quantum computers can efficiently figure out this factorization. So we, we know what the recipe is for doing this already. And this means that once quantum computers become powerful enough, they can efficiently break toads online. So that's, that's the bad news. The, uh, the good news is that we can replace this with new security methods, which are also based on quantum physics. And quantum computers cannot crack these. So it's not just a better security method, it's actually completely hack-proof. And there's no need to worry about your credit card numbers being stolen by quantum computers tomorrow. It will take a little bit of time for quantum computers to become p- powerful enough to do this. Uh, we estimate five years at the most, So it won't happen tomorrow, but it will happen in the next few years. And it takes time to transition, to change over your security methods. And so we're encouraging, uh, we're encouraging especially financial or government institutions, to make this transition right now, because it will take time to move your security over, and so this is another area that we're very focused on, and a sort of as the first step in this, uh, we're very focused on random number generation, and that that might seem kind of funny, uh, you know, why would people be so concerned about random numbers? Can't you just flip a coin or something and and get random numbers? But if you think about it, it's very difficult to get a truly random number because you know in the flipping the coin example it's not really random. If I really paid attention to which way the wind was blowing and how hard I flipped the coin and the, the composition of the coin, I could actually predict exactly how that coin is going to land. It's just not feasible for me to do so, but I actually could predict that. And truly random numbers are very difficult to come by. You, you can't ask any normal computer to do this because there's nothing random in a normal computer. It just has some complicated formula and so you ask give me a random number and it will give you a number which might look random but it's actually just some complicated formula that it has built into it internally and so what we are doing is we've developed a way to use quantum physics to generate truly random numbers and these are very useful in in uh, generating random passwords for example and we're not the first to realize this. People have known for some time that you could use quantum physics to generate random numbers, but we do have the first certifiably random number generation device. And what this means is, if you didn't trust your engineer or something, if you suspected that these numbers were not random for some reason, you could actually just do a series of tests, like an audit, and you could actually check that they are random. And so we've developed a way using quantum physics to prove that these numbers are truly random, that no one is is interfering with them. No one is generating them secretly for you. Um, and so, so this is the first step in generating truly hack-proof security.
1: And, and in terms of the, I know you said the, fir- the first certifiable random numbers. I mean, how, so, mm-hmm. so is there is there another formula or system to, I guess, to prove, I mean, to prove that certification, to prove that it's not just another formula?
2: That's right. Yeah. So you can actually use using math and physics that these numbers are truly random. You don't have to just take the word of your engineer or or whoever's uh, running the device for you. You can actually just take the numbers and apply a series of mathematical formulas and you can see for yourself that these are random and no one is interfering with them. And this is the first time that anyone has ever developed this commercially. And so uh, so we already have the prototype built and these will be shipping very shortly. And so this is something that can be done right now. Uh, but this is only the first step in the longer road towards uh, post-quantum security. It's called
1: post-quantum security. Wow. So Th- that's um, right.
2: Yeah, because uh, because all the existing security methods are vulnerable to quantum computing attacks, and so this is the first step in defeating that.
1: So basically, it would so basically it would take a quantum computer to stand up to a quantum computer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It takes. It, that's that's right. That's exactly right. It takes quantum technology, and so so what I've just described, we've built devices. Uh, they they sort of look like DVD players. They slide into a rack, uh, and they they generate a stream of of certifiably random numbers. And we're uh, we're also developing a way to do this on a quantum computer. So yeah, it does take quantum technology to defeat a quantum computer.
1: Wow. So and I and I know you said uh, I know you said the first priority would be government institutions and financial institutions. So let's that's say that's right. Could, yeah. Uh, so so uh, as you so as uh once you're able to bring one of them on as a client, what do they experience in terms of trying to make that jump or make that transition? Do they have to be taught everything top to bottom about what did it is about quantum computing first or is it just this will strengthen your security and kind of step back out of our way sort of
2: that's right so it's uh it's a very smooth transition, and so these devices that I've just mentioned uh as I, so as i explained they're simply small boxes so you could you could assemble a rack of them and they're stackable so you could buy several of them and then connect them together and so you'd get it you could add the throughput of these random bits that they generate and so these these institutions that i mentioned they already have some way of generating pseudo random or random numbers and so this would simply replace that so it doesn't require a drastic overhaul of their infrastructure and so that's why this is just the first step
1: ah oh, okay so so it wouldn't oh okay so it wouldn't take a whole like you say it wouldn't take a complete years long overhaul no. to do to, to do it for no it not at all. Be...
2: So so presumably right now uh they're probably running some sort of pseudo random number generation code on a Linux box or something like that. And they're just using these as so called random numbers. So they would simply have to replace that with these devices. But it doesn't mean completely overhauling their system.
1: Huh, okay. So after the uh so after the shift starts to happen, let's say it's it's um once the shift starts to happen in the next couple of years or five years, like you said, um what, what developments in your industry do you think are, would be realistic to look for versus ones where they're just so ambitious that they're unlikely to happen? You know, where it's like, no, that's fantasy. That would be 30 years out versus something that would be just, like you said, two to five years out.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's funny. Uh, a
1: lot of predictions about this
2: are, have been comically wrong. Um, <laughs> I, mentioned that, I, I mentioned that quantum computers, they were suggested about 40 years ago. And at the time, people thought, well, that's, that's a brilliant idea, but the technology is nowhere near good enough to actually build these devices. And the joke in the industry was that they were always 10 or 20 years away. And this was what was said for about 35 years. People always joked, yeah, it's about 10 to 20 years away uh, because the developments were very slow. It was only academic researchers that were doing this. But then about four years ago, there was this proof of principle. People realized this really could be done uh, and it was commercially viable. And so then, the private sector got involved, and, and huge amounts of money started pouring into this. And then, just in the past year, we have seen. So I mentioned qubits are, are are the basic constituent of quantum computers. So every qubit that you add doubles the power of a quantum computer. Just in the past nine months, we have gone from nine to seventeen to fifty to seventy-two qubits. And the qubits aren't perfect. And so I mentioned those those four iterations. Uh, they have different strengths and weaknesses in terms of their coherence time and error rate and such, but that gives you an overview of how quickly the field is advancing. And so it might seem like something is impossible right now, but in two years, it could, it could be completely transformed. And you know, if you, if you look at the way that the, the personal computer developed, the early computers, they were amazing for the time, but it was still probably difficult for them to imagine what it would be like today. If you imagine the early personal computers, no one could have foreseen the internet, or you know the smartphone or a lot of things that we just take for granted today. And so right now we see that these quantum computers are being built, they really do exist and we're starting to see the first applications, but I don't I'd be afraid to guess right now of anything that would be impossible because I think in 5 years we'll have a very different notion of what's impossible.
1: Wow, that's uh, and that's a really good analogy to use because when I mean, you think back 30 40 years what we what we just what we're carrying around in our pockets, yeah. And you and you're saying uh, and you're talking about how how quickly this is advancing We said nine seventeen to 50 to 72 in just months yeah it's
2: uh yeah it's amazing and it's, it's so building on that example um so right now the applications that we're focused on with quantum computing are things that we these are problems that we know about that we can't do with existing computers so so the chemistry example we know what chemistry is and we can do very simple examples but anything interesting we can't do and so this is a this is a focus problem um, machine learning we're starting to learn how to do uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning but we see that sophisticated e- examples are too complex for a normal computer and so this is a good example for something to run on a quantum computer and then the encryption security we already know that there are some vulnerabilities so this is something that people are working on so there's a few examples of problems that we already know about right now but what will really be interesting is once quantum computers are built what the killer app will be I don't know and it will probably be Thought of by kids who are in preschool right now, because they'll just take this technology for granted, and they won't they won't be limited by by all the prejudices of of growing up with normal computers. Um, so yeah, so I uh, I don't even want
1: to predict what will be called impossible in 30 years. And, and and like you said, the problems are known. It's just a matter of working toward working toward that working toward the point of being able to solve them with the technology. That's right. That's right. And uh and uh, tell me a little bit about how did you how did you get into this field. As you um...
2: Sure. So so my background is in physics. Uh, I received my PhD in theoretical physics at Columbia University, and then I did 10 years of research in superstring cosmology. So I was very much on the theoretical side of physics. And then I changed tack and I did some business for a while. And I had I had been following quantum computing kind of from the outside for about two years, but I really wanted to get into this. This was so exciting. Not only from a technical viewpoint, because as a physicist, I loved that these things that I had spent my life researching uh, were suddenly being applied to real-world problems. But I saw that it had so much potential benefit to the real world. It could it could solve these problems that that were uh, insurmountable before. And so, uh, so I saw that there were a lot of opportunities. And I was uh, I was very lucky to get in touch with Ilias Kahn, our CEO. Uh, we were put in touch through a mutual friend. And Cambridge Quantum Computing is based in, in the UK, as you might imagine from the name, it's based in Cambridge, England. But uh but we have so many relationships that we're building with with American tech companies like Google and IBM and Microsoft and Intel. And so we wanted to establish more of a presence in uh in America and in particular in the Bay Area because of, of all the tech innovation there. And so it was very much just being in the right place at the right time. And so uh so I'll be working for Cambridge Quantum's American unit
1: soon. Ah, okay okay, got it so you've had kind of a, uh, uh, so you're kind of, uh, so you were kind of already, you're basically already in the, in the field, and then you kind of saw, like you said, you saw the opportunity to kind of make that leap. I will not, I will not use the phrase quantum leap. Don't worry about <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to do that to you, and I won't do that to the audience. But um, but to make that jump into, like you said, the uh, uh, this this kind of fertile ground of opportunity for your field. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right, and, uh, and, and
1: again, this, uh, this field didn't exist. When I was getting my
2: PhD, uh, yeah, this wasn't even really an option. There were a few people studying it just from an academic viewpoint, but no one was thinking seriously about the commercial applications of it. And if, if it had been an option, I think I would have gone into it. Um, it's really an amazing time. Uh, so I mentioned that for for many years, the joke was always that it was 10 or 20 years away. So Ilyas Khan, our founder and CEO, he's actually chairman of the Stephen Hawking Foundation, and it was Hawking who personally told him about four years ago, this time quantum computing is for real. This this is going to take off, and suggested that that Ilyas get into it. And so it, it was actually the the late Stephen Hawking who was directly responsible for the creation of our company.
1: Oh wow, I didn't I didn't I didn't realize that when I was doing my research. Uh, yeah, I did see yeah. I did see uh, I did see Ilyas. This is the CEO, but I didn't realize uh, that that. Uh, Stephen Hawking was actually responsible for the founding of the company, but, uh, but or or, or, yeah, inf- inf- or influenced it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a, a
2: great connection. Unfortunately, as you know, uh, Professor Hawking passed away a few weeks ago.
1: Oh well, yeah, of course. It, um, definitely, definitely leaves a rich legacy behind, no question. But, um, yeah. But let me ask you, Mark. Uh, uh, like I said, I've, I've enjoyed talking to you and finding out the practical applications of of quantum computing in the future. Uh, I just want to let our uh, listeners find out. How can they get in contact with you if they want to talk business or become a customer or just find out more?
2: Sure. So I would suggest, first of all, that they add Ilias Khan's uh, LinkedIn profile to theirs, that they they connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, Ilias writes fantastic articles about different aspects of the field, and he posts them there. So I would uh, would first recommend that. Uh, Second, I would recommend uh, just go to our website, and we have a lot of information about what's happening in the field and updates specific to us. And third, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you're always welcome to to connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'd be more than happy to answer any questions.
1: Okay. Thank you for that. And, Mark, I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, and I appreciate your time and your wisdom, and I'm sure our audience appreciates it. Thanks. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. I had a great time, Alan. All right.
0: Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Check Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and, of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, around the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review